Right, hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Big Football Podcast. Uh, hosting as always, my name's Dan and I'm joined this evening by Paul. Good evening, Dan. And Khan. Good evening. Are you both well, gents? Yeah, Some lovely weather, Dan, this weekend. Yeah, it's been really, really nice. Even in uh, the grim northwest of England, it's been lovely. Um, I'd just like to, to start off by thanking everyone who listened to um, the podcast last week. It was by far and away um, our biggest downloaded episode of the year. It's almost as though the Super League is an emotive subject that got tongues wagging. Um, you would never have believed that, would you? Um, just before we make a start, I'd like to, to point out to, to our listeners that you can subscribe to the Big Football Podcast on iTunes, Amazon Music, Podbean and Spotify and you don't need to do anything, you just subscribe and every time we deliver some football beauty like we are doing right now, it will be automatically downloaded to your device and you'll be able to, to pick up straight away. Speaking of picking up straight away, we'll we'll make a start, gents. After I've done plugging, um, the last like last Sunday we, we we had a chat about the possibility of of what was about to come. I don't think any of us could have predicted the last seven days. It's certainly been the most seismic week of football that that I can remember. I can remember big things happening in football many many times, but this wasn't just sports news. This was global news. We had governments intervening, which I. I had in my head was an automatic FIFA ban. I had visions of the big six being responsible for England being thrown out of the Euros um, and all kinds of stuff like that. It has been chaos. The league's PR was non-existent, to put it this way. You can tell that um, Theresa May's former PR firm handled it because it was a complete head-in-the-sand disaster. And what a mess. What 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 a mess. How how are we, How are we all feeling... Um, like eight days on, a lot of things lasted longer than than uh, the Super League. <laughs> if you're going to fight for something, you've got to fight for more than forty-eight hours. There wasn't much fighting being done. Yeah, you're right, Dan. And I mean, it's interesting because obviously we, we talked about it sort of as the story had, had broken almost last week. Um, and, and and I guess at the time, perhaps we we didn't necessarily have all the the, the details, and, and we certainly didn't know obviously about all the fallout that, w- that was going to come, you know, as you say, we knew it was a, a big deal, but perhaps we, we didn't necessarily realise just how emotive it was going to be and what the reaction was, you know, particularly from the from the British clubs, but from from the sort of football community across Europe and, and, and the, you know, and the wider world. Um, but I think, it, <laughs> as you say, it's been a pretty farcical, really, and it, it is quite surprising just how quickly... Um, you know, the clubs have all sort of backed down from it, uh, you know, given the reaction from the fans and so on. It sort of makes you think, well, surely there was enough for you to know that it was a, a terrible idea um, <laughs> or that it would be received terribly. Um, you know, there's, there's potentially some 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 things in there that aren't that shocking because the principle of it has been talked around for a long, long time. So maybe it's, it's perhaps surprising just how badly they got the execution of it. Um, and that then how quickly they were they were sort of backing down from something that they you know that they'd all signed up for um i think what you will say is you know i think the, the, the general football community in particular fans can take a lot of credit from it um i think they were sort of pretty consistent and united it was something that sort of went across club rivalries almost you know that was sort of forgotten for a few days um and people sort of came together to to sort of express their their sort of disgust for the way that it had um you know, that it had been, you know, laid out and, and all these sort of uh, 
backroom deals and conversations that the sort of executives and owners of, of, the, of the clubs in question, and we'll perhaps go into a bit of detail about that um, in a minute. But um, I think the other element, just just to touch on before before Paul comes in as well, is is also the the reaction from the the regular footballing authorities, you know, and in particular UEFA and and, and FIFA, you know, I think there's there's a lot of uh, damage done between the clubs and the authorities now, which and obviously they always had a slightly fractious relationship prior to this, and I think now that the full details have come out and it's been clear just how embedded some of the clubs were in these discussions, and particularly the you know the clubs who were really leading it, sort of you know Madrid, Juventus, you know Man United as well, and, and Liverpool and Arsenal. You know our clubs, which again, like I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit more. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how these clubs, if they try and sort of heal those relationships, and, and how long that takes, and what what that sort of means for how they interact with the authorities, and also the other other clubs as well. You know the other Premier League clubs and the other clubs in their division who clearly now know where they stand uh, with those other clubs that they were more than happy to sort of, you know, effectively try and abandon them at the first sign of a bit of extra cash. Um, it, it's kind of laid bare the intentions of, of those owners and executives, um, at, certainly at our three clubs and, and, and the other teams that were involved. So it, it, it's going to be, yeah, I think that's going to be the interesting point out of all this. It's sort of where does football go now that it's pretty obvious what the big clubs or the big clubs that signed up to this really want and, that, and what they're willing to do to try and do that. How does football now sort of move on and respond to this? Um, yeah, maybe I, at that point I'll, I'll let Paul... Yeah, I, I think where football goes, Con is back to the pure and holy Champions League that, of course, is not about <laughs> revenues or sponsorship money or TV deals. It's a good, <laughs> wholesome product. And people should be, you know, yes. supporting the Champions League. Yeah, I think, I think there's a little bit of hypocrisy <laughs> here on your way for side. And, and I think, yeah, I think that's something that we want to touch on. Um, and we talked again, as, as you said, Colin, we didn't know all the details when we when we discussed it on last week's podcast, but we did talk about the fact that there was a UEFA proposal um, to restructure the Champions League that was on the table. Uh, and and it, it isn't a million miles away in terms of competition format. Um, it's not exactly the same, but it's not a million miles away in terms of competition format from what the... Uh, what the European Super League wanted to be. Um, the big difference, obviously, is that, that there isn't automatic entry for, for clubs. There are these two wildcard places that we discussed last week for clubs who haven't otherwise qualified, which is a new um, invention and is designed as a bit of a sop and a bit of a, a, a pandering to those those big-name clubs who maybe have a down season and don't much like the idea of dropping out of the Champions League as a result of that. <coughs> um, <coughs> Well, yeah, indeed. I, I kind of wish that was the rule a few years ago. Down when Arsenal <laughs> first missed out, we might, we might, we might not quite be in the mess we are now. But anyway, um, you, you know. So I, I think we have to keep that perspective when we, we talk about the Super League issue. Everything that Khan says about the way that it's been handled, the way that the comms was dealt with, the way that the kind of you know structure collapsed so quickly and there seemed to be very little unity between these 12 teams who must have known they were going to be announcing something pretty seismic and there was going to be a backlash um so but, but even given all that we have to remain in the context of saying well what we are left with is not a million miles away from the super league that fans protested in their 
in their thousands against and, and actually in their millions worldwide but but physically outside stadiums and, and and on streets in their thousands and you know football's not out of the woods we still have a problem with this you know monster that is the the champions league and, and the new structure in particular of the champions league with its 10 group games that we talked about last week um I think the other thing, Dan, if you remember when we discussed it last week, I was of the view that there may still be an element here of this being a tactic from from the ESL clubs. They've been down this road before and used the threat of a Super League to get what they want out of UEFA. Now, they've never gone as far as pressing the the button, as it were, previously. And and obviously, last Sunday, they took the nuclear option and they pressed the button. Um, But whenever we've got close to this point before, it's been a threat to try and get concessions out of UEFA um, and I wonder a little bit Dan if there was a split in the in the 12 clubs between those who thought that that's what they were doing trying to just push UEFA to the point where they had to make concessions and those clubs who actually thought no 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 this is for real this is it and it, it, it feels to me like there were a couple of clubs, and I think probably Chelsea and Atletico Madrid are in that category, who, who felt that this was still part of a negotiation. And then there was a group of clubs that it sounds like our three clubs were involved in, uh, along with Real Madrid and Barcelona uh, and Juventus, who were actually hell-bent on trying to drive this through, uh, at, at least in the initial stages. Although, obviously, you know the way, the way things fell apart last week was, was frankly comical. So I wonder if there was part of the reason it, the, the, the deck of cards fell so quickly is because there was never a complete agreement between the 12 as to what the aim was here. Was it really to launch this new competition or was it to say to UEFA, you've got to give us more of what we're asking for in the Champions League? Now, one of the things that's kind of been slightly underreported this week is, is UEFA have been in talks with Centricus Asset Management about increasing the financial package that will support the new structure of the Champions League from, I think, the season after next. So to the extent that it's about just pure money, pounds and pence, it it has kind of got UEFA back to the, the table and UEFA are off now looking for... I mean, Centricus Asset Management, there sounds like a holier-than-thou company, if ever I heard one, <laughs> um, to, come in and, to come in and sponsor football's biggest competition. Um, you know, but to the extent that it was about put, getting money on the table, it's, it's sort of had that effect. It's forced UEFA into this kind of ta- counter-proposal where I think they haven't yet got concessions out of UEFA, and they probably won't at this point because of how badly the whole thing was handled, was on um, automatic places for, for teams or, you know, an extension of these two wild cards that UEFA are talking about for teams who've missed out. Um, I think in an ideal world, that this gang of 12 w- would like to get to a situation where... Um, they are more protected from that one bad year where you don't qualify. Uh, particularly the six English clubs, because in Italy, there's a, there's a big three. Now, those three clubs haven't always been the best three teams in Italy in recent years. I mean, I know Inter are going to win the league this year, but they've had a few rocky seasons. and AC Milan have had some rocky seasons. OK, Juventus have been all dominant until this year. Uh, but but in, in Spain, it's pretty much for most of a decade now been Real, Barcelona and, and Atletico. 
that's fine for them because they are pretty protected. Juventus are pretty protected. Where it's a real problem is England because we only get four places and we've got six teams running Champions League budgets. You know, it's something Josh Gronk has been very upfront and honest about with Arsenal fans previously. We are still operating a Champions League budget with Europa League football. Unfortunately, our Champions League budget hasn't bought any Champions League players, but that's a different, that's a different matter. <laughs> um, you, you know, I, but I, I think w- when you look at it in that, in that context, I think you say, OK, we've still got a problem here that the big clubs are going to want more protection out of UEFA. We've still got a problem here uh, and they're not going to go away on that. They're not going to give up. They'll push it through another means. We, we've still got a problem here that fundamentally we've got the clubs that get into the Champions League getting this ever-increasing avalanche of money, and it could now be a £6.5 billion package by Centrica's asset management that supports the league. That gets distributed between the Champions League clubs. Great, but that means the gap between those Champions League clubs and the clubs that play in the rest of the Premier League and Serie A and La Liga and, and wherever else continues to grow ever bigger. So uh, have we headed off something that was potentially pretty awful for um, genuine competitive balance in football? Yes. Should we be pleased about that? Yes. Is it gone forever? I suspect not. And is the situation we find ourselves left with anything close to optimum? Absolutely not. Um, And so I, I think football fans need to kind of not just say, well, that's the ESL done with, that's gone away for a little while, let's rest back on our laurels. They need to continue pushing against this ridiculous expanded Champions League. The the fans, nobody's asked the fans about that, that's not something fans want. Um, And I just think that that can't be missed when when we look at where we are on the basis of the fallout from last week. If uh, the Champions League is expanded to include Liverpool not being in the Europa Conference, I would would be happy to to accept that plan. Um, a couple couple of things I I wanted to mention. Um, what what struck me most about the the staggering incompetence from the twelve clubs last week is what what the, I wanted to hear the proposals. I did whether I would like them or not. I don't know, but I wanted to hear the proposals just to see what it is before going racing off to, to the internet to, to decry or otherwise. But they didn't give me any finished proposals. They said there's going to be 15 teams. We never did find out who the other three were going to be. Reportedly, Leipzig were one, according to the Portuguese press. Benfica were the other. Porto said no. Bayern and PSG said not on your Nelly. So it, it wasn't finished. So how, how, as, how can you try and sell that idea to anybody when it's not finished? I, I just... Thought that, and there was a lot of staggering incompetence last week. Um, certainly, I remember us talking on. I think it was the Tuesday night when the statements were being released, and Liverpool's terse two-paragraph, three-sentence um, statement really got on my nerves. And admittedly, we got the personal apology from from John W. Henry the next day, but the, the damage has had already long been done at that point. It was a PR disaster for, for all of the clubs I don't think any club has come out of it looking particularly brilliant and, and Barcelona, I wonder why all that debt uh, Real Madrid and, and Juventus won't, won't let this lie either, they, they seem pretty determined to, to hang on for dear life well, Yeah, and that, that, that's a, a good point that we haven't touched on actually Dan that yeah, Florentino Perez, who you know was obviously urged as the 
the ringleader ring of this. You know, he's still saying that even the clubs who've said they're pulling out, like technically on paper, you know, he's still sort of acting as if it's as if it's still going ahead. Um, My advice to Florentino on that point, Colin, would be get a better lawyer because a letter <laughs> of intent is not legally binding in terms of no, contracting no. So, no, and I, I know, to be fair to him, he, he probably does know that, and he, but publicly he's, he's sort of sticking to that line for, for reasons perhaps best known to himself. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's very odd. And, uh, you know, as you say, Dan, not, none of the teams have come out of it well at all. And there was a lot of, you know, fairly lame, you know, face-saving PR uh, statements and exercises that, that that were done, and I think it you know it has become clear that you know the three teams we support were were at the heart of it or, or pretty close to it, along with you know Madrid and, and Juve, um, and I think Barca as well. So, uh, and obviously you know we've had people like Ed Woodward. Um, that was one of the stories that came out that he's leaving at like, at the end of the year. I think it is. Um, which seems a bit bizarre. So he's obviously the fall guy from Man United. Um, whether he was planning to go or whatever before that, I've no idea. But that's you, you know, as far as I'm aware, it was Joel Glazer who was who was part of the the cabal of people, not, rather than Edward. I mean, I've no no fan of Edward. Would I've mentioned him many times on this podcast, and not generally in a favourable light. Um, and I don't think you'll find many United fans with with a lot of good things to say about him. But in this particular, and I'm sure he was involved in this to some extent. I'm sure he was aware of it and, and whatever. But it, yeah, he's. Clearly, you know, you can't sack the owner, right? So you go a level down and you boot out the chief exec. Um, so I look forward to which which stooge we, we replace him with uh, in the next few months. Um, Similarly, Con, I mean, you must be right. There's no way that Ed Woodward has the authority to take the decision to enter Manchester United into a Super League without the say-so with the Glazers. And, and for anybody to believe that this was all Ed Woodward's doing and therefore he can be, you know, moved on and all will be right with the world is, is incredibly naive. Um, similarly, at the other clubs, you know, at my own club, the idea that uh, Vinay Venkatashima got the, got the authority to make this decision without consulting the Cronkers is just, you know, it, it's for the birds, really, that the people who were behind this decision are the people ultimately the people who own these football clubs um and i think uh interestingly i i think roman abramovich who you know i know a huge supporter of uh, has kind of taken a level of accountability for the fact that chelsea hitched their wagon to it and sort of said well yeah i i took the decision um which you know, at least he's come out. And, and as Dan said, in, in the end, the, the owners at Liverpool came out as well later in the week and, and said sorry. But it, it's a bit rich for these clubs to kind of hide behind slightly incompetent failing chief executives, which certainly <laughs> described the two. Um, I mean, I don't even think Vinay's title is chief executive at Arsenal. I don't know what his title is, chief water boy or something. I have no <laughs> idea. Um, but no, he'll be suitably grand because we had that period where everyone at Arsenal was head of something. Um, but none of it very effective. Uh, you know, I, 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 these... The, these are not the guys who, who football fans need to turn their turn their ire on at, at this stage. It's it's the owners, it's the people, the billionaires, who are, you know, who are billionaires who are running these football clubs. You know, at Tottenham, the only one I think of those six in the English league that are that are English owned. I mean, I know Joe Lewis uh, lives abroad in a tax haven and hasn't lived in the UK for a long, long time. I wonder why. Um, <laughs> but 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 the other five, you know. 
Arsenal and Liverpool and Manchester United, American owned, obviously Chelsea owned by Abramovich and, and we all know who owns Manchester City. So these billionaires, these international corporations are taking these decisions, not three or four blokes sat around the boardroom table. Yeah, and, and I think on that, Paul, as well, I think a point that's been been missed, and like I say, it was, you know, I, I gave credit to the, you know, to, to sort of football fans and the football community earlier on, so I'm not, I'm not going to take back that statement at all, but but also it's, what did people think these guys were getting involved in football clubs for? You know, I think actually only Abramovich is the one who perhaps didn't come into it purely for, for sort of profit, if you like. He almost did it, at least to start with, for, for sort of enjoyment, because he was rich and he... Yeah wanted to own a club, you know, and it was, oh, well, you can get Chelsea for not too much. So we went for them. Uh, but it's it's obvious the rest of them have, have come into it um, for, for the money. Maybe not with Man City, actually. That's perhaps more of a sort of PR exercise. Um, <laughs> but certainly, again, the, the three, you know, the, you know, the, the three owners of, of our of our clubs um, have come into it very yeah. much from a, you know, this is this is a business and we are we are here for, yeah. for profit. Um so, yeah, I think there perhaps has been a little of a bit of, you know, convenient naivety, maybe from from some some fans who've, who've sort of acted so shocked about this. Um, you know, perhaps they just don't necessarily follow that side of the game. And I guess it's not the reason most people became football fans to look at spreadsheets and, <laughs> and that kind of thing. So you could forgive a lot of people for that, to be quite honest. But it is unfortunately a reality um, if, if you're a fan of a, you know, one of those bigger clubs and particularly our clubs yeah. and, and again, and, and other teams in Europe as well, um, you know, they're ran as a business for profit. And so when opportunities come to get bigger profits, you know, of course, the owners are going to be, be looking at that because that's that's all they're there for. Um, and I think, yeah, maybe that that's sort of been conveniently glossed over a bit. But I, I guess this has perhaps brought it home a bit more now. And maybe that that will mean that fans become a bit more savvy perhaps going forward and, and sort of will, will hold their owners to account a bit more on, on things like this. Um, and even when the going's good and not just when the goings are tough, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you've seen, and, and I'm, I'm not calling anyone for it. You, you've just seen an, an awakening or a reawakening of ill feeling towards owners. You've seen um, obviously people protesting outside Carrington, Oh, it got, actually got into the ground, didn't they? Um, if I remember rightly, uh, you saw the scenes outside um, Arsenal on Friday night. Um, re- in in reality, t- to be honest with you, up here there's been a lot of vocal annoyance, but no one's gone and stood outside the stadium. I think Liverpool. I mean, I, I I'm not a big fan of of the owners uh, at Liverpool. I I don't think that the particularly ambitious they're happy to just spend what they make which I've got no real problem with but when you've got a, a 31 year old sorry a 30 year old forward Roberto Firmino who, who doesn't look like he can run anymore because he's been running to the ground for the last four years you, you know I, I think there's some underinvestment at Liverpool but that's by the by there's not been a huge outpouring of get the owners out but I think what happened 11 years ago was kind of got people thinking you know it, it can always be worse and like there's a hesitancy to kind of like pull the trigger on our owners it's not really the case elsewhere for that no i think i think the um the owners at arsenal are obviously under extreme pressure my understanding is that there's no uh chance at this stage that they're going to sell um 
I was slightly surprised to see all the Arsenal fans being so excited about the owner of Spotify taking over because I think the last time I looked, Spotify has lost money every year it's existed. Um, yeah. So that doesn't that doesn't scream to me like a bloke you necessarily want running your football club. Well, which, it would... whether, whether we like it or not, Dan is a business because because that's just the modern world we live in. Um, but anyway, I look. I think you're right that there's probably a little bit less pressure on the owners at Liverpool than there is on uh, on Kroenke and and Glazer, and that's because of the amount of goodwill they've built up with a lot of the really good decisions that they've taken in recent years. Um, that have helped Liverpool to, to have the success that they've had in recent seasons. So that that's bound to be the case, that success on the pitch buys you credit in the, as an owner. It always has in football, it always will. Um, but but again, I, you know, I had this conversation with Arsenal fans over the weekend and and while I think everybody's agreed that they're pretty sick of the, of the current ownership, we have to be realistic that the next owner of Arsenal, um, whenever that point comes, is going to be a billionaire is probably not going to be British um, and is going to be running Arsenal for reasons other than making sure Arsenal Football Club uh, Arsenal Football Club win, win the maximum number of games and the maximum number of trophies. Whether that's the sort of vanity project end of the scale, which I think you know fans probably feel a bit better about, or whether it's the sort of more Americanised franchise model, um, is really by the by the next owners of Arsenal at the point that Kroenke does go, and I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, um, will be an international billionaire, conglomerate, etc. It will not be um, the local boy done good, because that guy cannot afford to run a football club anymore. There is no more Jack Walkers at this level. Can, can, can I, I, I just, just come in there, because I, this is, again, this is the conversation um, that, that I've, I've had with, with, with my Liverpool supporting friends, and if if you think about it, the only way that, like as you say, you, you've pretty much taken the word right out of my mouth. There. There's like there's no Jack Walkers anymore, you know. Like there's not that. I wish there was a Scouse billionaire to buy Liverpool, but there's not. So, if you think about it, you're restricted to American hedge funds who, unless they had shares in GameStop, um, are always going to make money. That's just an unfortunate fact of life. Don't like it, but we're, we're owned by a hedge fund. So we would sell to another hedge fund or we would sell to a Middle Eastern conglomerate or someone from China. That's really it, isn't it? It yeah, is, Dan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, well, that's completely it. Uh, it, it. They are they are where your ownership groups come from these days. And like I say, you know, it, there are no kind of, you know, there's very few people in Britain who can afford to get into that sort of bidding war for football clubs. Yeah, exactly that. And I mean, you, it's expensive enough to run a football club anywhere, but in London in particular, you you mentioned Arsenal. Everything costs more. Like stadium upkeep costs more, etc., etc., etc. So it, it, it's not going to be going to it's it's going to be going to a multi-billion-pound conglomerate, and that's the same for all of the big clubs. I mean, there, there were rumours actually bef- just before the Super League that there was a a Middle Eastern conglomerate readying its itself for a a takeover of of, of Liverpool, but um, I I don't see that because. I actually think our owners probably value us at more than three billion, and given that they paid buttons for us, then 
they would still make a handsome profit no matter what, but that's what hedge funds do, that's where they make the money. If we kind of think about what what might change moving forward, I mean, one one thing I want to focus on, but not too much, is, is the, again, the PR. It was catastrophic. Was my idea of having Sven flanked by Owen Hargreaves and Darius Vassell really that bad an idea in comparison to what we actually got? <laughs> It was it was appalling, um, and the other thing I wanted to to, to kind of mention is uh, how can fans be more involved moving forward? People see this as a kind of an opportunity to to squeeze owners now and say right, we want fan representation on the board because if you've got a fan on the board, this Super League stuff ain't getting close to getting started because they let me. Even someone, let's just take me on the Liverpool board. You know, I'm open-minded. Um, like first of all, the, the Liverpool CEO is called Billy Hogan, so I'd expect him to give me a big boot or the leg drop off the rope. So, and if he didn't, I'd be disappointed. <laughs> um, but if you, if, if I, I would like to myself, think myself as quite open-minded. So, if if Billy Hogan comes to me and says, Dan, what, what do you think of this? I'd read the proposals and say, well, first of all, Billy, they're not finished. Tell me who's going to be in it. And you know, like important things like that. You know, come on, we, we, uh, how are we getting these five guest teams in and out without getting in real trouble with UEFA? You know, like, this isn't going to work. So I, I would look at it from that point of view. But I, I, as a fan, I, I know people aren't going to go for this. They're not going to go for for a, a league where you have to. But where you don't have to qualify. Basically, you're, you're just mm. in it, and you can't go up or down. That's not how it works in in uh, in football. In American football, absolutely, that's how it works. In our world, it doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's quite funny given what you were just saying about the types of owners and and, and as we've all said around that, you know, the amount of money and resources they have at their disposal that that, that they got the execution of it so badly wrong. You know, it's it's like how can you not spend a tiny fraction of your combined fortunes on making this, you know, working on making this sort of land property, which, which perhaps gives a bit more credence to, to what you were saying, Paul, about the fact that, you know, was there that sort of split between the clubs of, Oh yeah, we're not actually going to do it. Um, possibly, you know, clubs like you mentioned, sort of Chelsea and so on versus um, the clubs who were clearly dead set on it and, and we've covered them. So perhaps that gives a bit of weight to that theory maybe, but then you think, well, surely the clubs that were intent on doing it, and we know a few of them absolutely were, they have plenty of resources at their disposal. They could easily have managed this better. You think, uh, you know, I think the fact that they didn't maybe does suggest that, that these owners are, were just... All right, um, first time this has happened on, on this podcast in best part of a year, so I'll take that. Um, we've actually lost Khan. Uh, due to technical difficulties, as in he sounded like he was underwater, and that wasn't getting fixed. Um, so Paul, he is coming to us live from deepest, darkest Hemel Hempstead this evening, Dan. So that might be why. <laughs> well, what what I'll what I'll do, Paul, is I'll I'll let you make Cam's points for him and steal a joke, which is not always uh, optimal for friends to do, but it's going to be done. Yeah, I, I think the con- uh, point Cam was trying to make when we when we lost him um, to the deep blue sea was that. Uh, <laughs> Was that you know fan ownership on in, on boards uh, in principle in theory yes it's a lovely idea it was actually a Jeremy Cor- Corbyn policy if you remember rightly that was that was Con's little dig um, you know everyone thought it was bonkers when Jeremy suggested it now all of a sudden it's something that everyone thinks is a good idea um, 
but I, you know, it was, it is in principle attractive. In practice, Khan's point was, how much is it actually going to change? And I think it's a really fair and legitimate question. Um, imagine the situation down where the one that you've just described, where you're the, the, the fan representative on the Liverpool board, and believe me, they'd be lucky to have you. Um, you know, you, you still end up in a minority of one against four or five or six other board members who whose jobs depend in some cases, the chief exec and the chief financial officer, etc., their jobs and their status on the board may well depend on uh, supporting what the ownership group wants. And so, um, while in theory, yes, it would be great to have fan perspectives heard at the boardroom table much more, the reality is there's a question on how much it will it will change um, in practice. And that, you know... I, do we need to get better at involving fans? Are they starting to feel more and more disenfranchised from some of the, the super big clubs? Uh, I won't use the word super clubs, the, the top clubs in, in the country, uh, the biggest brands. Yes, I think fans are starting to feel more disenfranchised from those clubs. And I think that's been going on. You know, I, I almost feel as though the Glazer takeover at Manchester United and whatever that was, 2005, was a bit of a watershed moment for football. Um uh, and it kind of feels like it's gone in that direction ever since. Uh, and, and I understand why why fans would like to feel like they're more included in decision-making. But the reality is, uh, having fan membership on a, on a board in, in reality is likely to just be a sop rather than an actual, um, actual meaningful uh, change. And of course, um, the board can always do what, 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 what they tried to do at Liverpool 11 years ago. It's a split two to right. Okay, we'll just appoint somebody else to get whatever we need to do. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I'm not one of these people who thinks that fan ownership can happen. I'm just wondering if there's going to be kind of a, a more endeavour for it to try and, and happen. But it, it's only ever going to be fan representation, you know, like fan meetings, fan forums, where support. I wonder, Dan. I wonder just before we wrap this up whether whether actually one of the things that will change in the future is that fans will start to view everything that's been done in this kind of, you know, Champions League expansion, Europa League expansion, expansion of the international competitions, you know, TV deals. I wonder if it will wake fans up a bit more to some of the realities of that. And I think Khan's point about a lot of fans being slightly blasé about it in the past. I think what might be a meaningful change from this is that fans wake up and say, actually, you know, the status quo isn't just fine and dandy. There are problems even with what we have now. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, there's interesting times ahead, but uh, my, my closing thoughts are, are on it are, I know that the, the threat of the Super League hasn't gone away, but boy, oh boy, have those 12 teams neutered the, their ability to... Cause us a bit of a fuss and kick up a, a, a kick up a fuss and cause a bit of a threat now. Indeed, they've they've given up positions on various boards at European and domestic level, and you know, the humiliated six as they've been referred to in the in the papers in in the UK are, are certainly um, you know licking their wounds a little bit in in the in the backlash of what happened. Yeah, and of course. Um, Opportunists. I will. I will moderate my language. I was going to use a, a word that ends in hawk. Um, 
opportunists like Karen Brady, who wanted the season voided last year, um, have been squawking from the rooftops about this, that and the other. And it's like, well, you're a complete hypocrite. But um, football is all about self-interest. It always has been. Well, no, it's not. That's not true. In the, the modern era, it's about self-interest yeah. and forevermore will be about self-interest. I think we've covered that pretty well, even though um, I, I didn't realise that Khan was going to submerge halfway through through this podcast. <laughs> With that being said, we've kind of con- decided to concentrate on the big issue at the moment, which is the Super League, and we're just going to mention the rest of the um, the football in passing. Um, I, in, in August, Paul, and, and I know this is a joke that I make most weeks, you said that um, just agree that Sevilla have won the Europa League and have done with it. Um, and I, I kind of countered that by saying, let's just agree that Manchester City have won the, the Carabao Cup and they have again for the fourth year in a <laughs> row. Um, I, I don't know whether Jose would have had much of an effect on that game, but um, it's one of the most one-sided one nils that I can remember for a while, especially the first half. It was a bit better in the second half from Spurs, but not remotely adequate enough to to knock City over. Yeah, I felt like... um, I I didn't feel like Manchester City ever got anywhere near their best on on Sunday. I really didn't, even the first half when they completely dominated the game. I didn't think they were anywhere close to what they can be. Um, But it almost felt at times like they were toying with Tottenham and they just thought we can score whenever we want here. Uh, And in the end, obviously, it took them to the last 10 minutes and a a header to, to break the deadlock. But... Um, it was a one-sided final. Uh, it is four cups in a row. We've said before, Pep almost seems to treat this with more sort of seriousness than he treats the FA Cup in a, in a lot of seasons, albeit they've been good at getting to FA Cup semi-finals. Just, I think that's three he's lost now in, in England, uh, two to Arsenal and, and one to Chelsea. So um, they've been good at getting to semi-finals in the FA Cup, but not, not taking those final steps, other than obviously that, that year they beat Watford 100-0. <laughs> in the in the cup final, or at least that's what it felt like. Uh, but but it is a competition that they take seriously in the first half of the season. It fits in nicely for them, you know, waltzing through their Champions League groups. So they can put a bit more attention on it. Um, I just think the way that Manchester City plan the peaks and troughs of their season and what are the points at which they're going to peak and when do they need to be in peak physical condition tends to to the flow of the of the league cup quite well and then all that said of course they they are just the best team in england at the moment so so that helps as well um i, I thought phil foden again at the point yesterday was the best player on the pitch which you know from an england perspective is continues to be a real sort of ray of light that that england fans have got to look forward to for the next decade um from tottenham's perspective tumultuous week i'm sure we'll touch in future weeks on the whole jose issue and where does jose go from here in terms of where tottenham go from here ryan mason's got the job to the end of the season where that came from i don't know you know ledley king was on the first team coaching staff so i'm not sure why why they've brought ryan mason in from underneath in the structure ramon verga was obviously busy well exactly i mean it just it just doesn't make much sense to me but um but look, I wish Ryan Mason, you know, as well as I'd wish any Spurs manager. Uh, <laughs> he, he seems like a decent enough fella, but uh, it's a difficult job he's taken on. I think it probably means Spurs are not going to make the top four now. Um, they didn't, as you said, Dan, they didn't really rise to the occasion at all yesterday. 
still think when I look at the Tottenham team, the middle of the field is pedestrian beyond belief. Um, you know, Harry Winks played in there yesterday, Hoiberg. They, they've tried different combinations, haven't they, this season, but they just haven't got enough quality in the middle of the field, as far as I can see. Only undone uh, there, really. Yeah, I, I, I just think they've, they've got a lot of people in there who are decent footballers, but just not really guys who are going to make that difference at, at the critical stage in, in games. And uh, Manchester City had a relative relatively easy level of control. Again, I, I think we've said before, Dan, on this podcast, Pep Guardiola's success or failure at Manchester City in terms of his legacy there will not be judged by League Cup wins. Um, it will be judged by the the two fantastic titles he's already won. You know, the, the year when they were just completely dominant and then the season when when your your own club in Manchester City gave us, gave us one of the great title races uh, and City managed to prevail. Um, they'll be judged by the fact that they've won a third league this year despite starting pretty poorly. Um, but ultimately, the big question for Pep Guardiola is can he get his hands on the, on the Champions League again? Um, it's a long, long time since Pep Guardiola's won the Champions League. It'll be 10 years this year. Uh, and I think it it feels like this is a great opportunity for them. So, um, with European football to come, uh, that's far more of an issue of, of how Pep will be seen and how Manchester City's season will be perceived than winning the League Cup again. Providing, of course, the... Uh... The the the, um, the four teams that were in Champions League positions aren't escorted out of the the uh, the door come <laughs> come the end of the season. Very true. I mean, there was all this talk about whether the you know the biggest qualifications of the of the twelve clubs wasn't the, from from the European competitions are already in. I'd be surprised if that's the route UEFA goes down. My view is very much that UEFA shouldn't be thinking about vengeance. It should be thinking a, bit, a little bit more long-term about, okay, how do we get everybody back together? Um, but that doesn't seem to be how the world works these days, Dan. People seem much more um, keen on arguing with one another yeah, yeah and being vindictive and, and kind of trying to find solutions to problems. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But yeah, I, I think ultimately Man City's season now comes down to the the Champions League games. Um, should should UEFA wish to ban Liverpool from the UEFA Cup or the UEFA Conference for a season, I would, however, <laughs> welcome that. A fit and just punishment for the crime. Um, <laughs> if, if, if we just kind of kind of wrap things up now, a couple of um, promotions and relegations this weekend. Hull went up, um, Swindon went down, uh, Wickham, are on the, I, I love Wickham. Um, they have a go every week and they're not good enough and they will go down they're not quite down at the moment um but they need i think they need to win all three of the games that they have left um at the the team that play in white and blue in Horwich are nearly there and yeah it was a a, a a big weekend it was certainly nice to have some normality after the absolute pantomime that had been the, the week prior yeah, good to have some focus on you know actual football teams earning things on the field, wasn't it, Dan? And uh, and as you say, um, you know, congratulations to Hull. Uh, they shouldn't have been in League One in the first place, uh, really. And they've they've looked a good thing most of the season, haven't they? I know they haven't always been right bang first place, but, but they've been there or thereabouts pretty much from the first whistle. Um, congratulations to Watford. They've bounced back at the first attempt. There's that fantastic stat, isn't there, that the uh, 
the last time Watford fans saw their team live, they were in the Premier League. The next time Watford fans see their team live, they'll be in the Premier League. <laughs> and in between time, they've been both relegated and promoted, <laughs> which is, is quite some feat. But given the uh, you know bizarre times we live in, probably not, not all that surprising. And I think the, the championship playoff places are, are now sealed, aren't they, after the result yesterday? I, I think Reading can't now. Um, can't now make it. So I think the, the four playoff teams in the championship are Brentford, Bournemouth, Swansea and Barnsley. All separated um, by a point, aren't they? All separated by a point. Four very, very evenly matched teams. You can see any of those four on their day um, putting putting it together. It's I've said before, I think playoff football is some of the best football um, you watch and, and I think it will be this year and really looking forward to those championship playoffs. I think they could be fascinating games. Um, and yeah, in the Premier League, I think West Brom are all but now, aren't they? I think they're 10 points behind and, and I think there's 15 on the table for them. So, Oh, mate, I've got some terrible news for you about, about that game. I don't suppose you watched it. No, I didn't. I didn't watch it at the weekend. No, I, I, I give it a watch. And... Um, they were talking Ian Dark and Martin Keown, which instantly raises alarm bells. We're, we're <laughs> talking about the the fact that Watford had come back up and and Norwich, and then Ian Dark said, "Martin, I don't suppose you know if any of the teams that were relegated in three K have come back in a three, do you?" <laughs> and the, the, Martin Keown obviously had no idea to this answer, and he um, the, the the researcher came back about five minutes later and give your answer, Paul, which said, "No, they haven't." Yeah, well, I mean, you know, maybe maybe uh, Ian Dark should subscribe to the podcast because <laughs> we we covered that in great detail last week. Even if even if it took you and Con a few guesses to get close to the to naming the teams um, that have done it in a two, but yeah, uh, we've got at least two. And as I say, Bournemouth have got as good a chance as anybody. It's going to be fascinating in those in those championship playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the playoffs. Um, there's there's one team. Um, who, who I don't want in the playoffs for someone I care about very much is sick, um, but I'm I'm not putting the mockers on it. We might have more more on that in in a few weeks if all goes well. Yeah, and yeah, uh, in interesting discussion. Particularly love the um, the stuff about how how we move forward with the the whole Super League. But yeah, um, maybe I should open up a PR firm and just have Sven as the the figurehead. Doesn't matter what it's about. Just have Sven as the figurehead. Yeah, well, I'm I'm sure Theresa May uh, would be welcoming of your support, Dan. If uh, <laughs> if you want to try and take over the, all of the business of her former PR firm, well, the, put it this way: the the the, uh, the honourable lady it was it was a very consistent PR strategy. That's all I can say. <laughs> very, very, very consistent. Um, yeah, that, I think that's that's us done, mate. A bit, a bit of a short one this week in comparison, but we have been uh, hamstrung by uh, can going um, aquatic. <laughs> and it, it, yeah, it, and and you know, even though he was garbled and couldn't hear us, and we could barely him hear him, he still was more entertaining than Steve McManaman. <laughs> Admittedly, that's not a very high bar that I'm setting there. No, low, low bar. Yeah. Right, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Um, We'll catch you again next week.